0: Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Well, we launched this podcast in late January 2019, and here we are six months later going strong, and we are celebrating the release of our 50th episode. Now, I've been holding on to an interview for a few weeks that I wanted to release for this very occasion Now, as a side note, there is some adult language in this episode, just a bit sprinkled here and there, that you may not want younger ears to hear. But today, I'm excited to introduce to you Andrea Owen. She's a life coach, a mom, an author, and a self-described hellraiser. She helps high-achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, and choose courage and confidence instead. She's helped thousands of women manage their inner critic to create loving connections and live their most kick-ass life. She's the author of two books, including the most recent, How to Stop Feeling Like, S-H-I-T, hello, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness. That book has been translated into 18 languages, and then her first book is entitled 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life: BS Free Wisdom to Ignite Your Inner Badass and Live the Life You Deserve. Woo. She's also a retired roller derby player, having skated under the name Veronica Vane. I need to search that on YouTube. Maybe, maybe there's some uh maybe there's some footage of her. That would be good. I will do that. All right, in this episode, you're going to learn three sources of your inner critic, how to recognize your inner critic and cultivate positive thinking, and Andrea's personal story of hitting rock bottom and coming back strong. Now, we talk about all sorts of things on this episode, stuff we've never talked about before, including reincarnation, crystals, and even the word penis may have been uttered at one point. I'm sorry about that. Let's jump into this amazing conversation with Andrea Owen. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for taking time to hang with me today.
1: I'm so excited to have this conversation, David. Thanks for having me.
0: Sure. I just mentioned, you know, to you before we started that we're probably at episode 50 with no cursing, so <laughs> you are going to ruin our streak.
1: I'm so honored to be the maiden voyage into this, this you know, the, into the foul language
0: It's all good. (laughs) Today, we're talking about our inner critic. And so first thing I want to know is why should it even matter how we talk to ourselves?
1: Right. Well, it's one of those things where people ask me also the question, it's how strongly I feel about it. People ask me like, if you could only give people one tool or exercise, where should they start? And I always say, you need to start with the conversation that you're having with yourself. Because That, you know, you wouldn't let other people talk to you the way that your inner critic talks to you. And not just that, our inner critic is directly related to our core belief systems, you know, the the things that we truly are committed to believing about ourselves. So if you are beating yourself up 24-7, chances are you have a core belief that says, I'm not good enough. I always am a failure. I am a screw up. I'll never be you know, fill in the blank. And so that carries us. And we start making our decisions from that place about who we, who our relationships are, what we will tolerate in our lives. And so you can kind of see this, the chain of events that can unleash when we aren't speaking to ourselves kindly.
0: So where does this, where does this even start with? Because I think, well, a lot of us don't even realize we have it. Because it's it's such a good friend, but where does this inner critic even begin? At what point in our life?
1: It can start for many. Sadly, it can start really young. It depends on on your family of origin. You know, maybe there were some things that were said to you outright that you are a failure, that you'll never measure up to, you know, anything that type of thing. And also, some in some families, it's not. You know, clearly said, but the messaging definitely is there. You know, maybe we had a sibling that was always, quote unquote, the smart one, and we were never praised for anything. So then we start to develop, we make assumptions about how our parents and our caregivers feel about us and how they see us. And, you know, that's just a human trait that our brains do. It can also come from relationships that we've had before. People say things to us, people, you know, even just their actions make us make up stories about ourselves. And it also comes from our culture. And for, you know, I'm going to, I'm going gender stereotype here for a second, David. So for men, Feel their free. inner critic. Okay. <laughs> I don't like to, but I'm gonna. For men, typically the inner critic is around, um, you know, being vulnerable is weak. Uh, you know, that your status, how much money you make, how successful you are is directly, equivalent to how good of a person you are.
0: How about the size and, of your penis? Okay. Well, that might
1: matter. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the experience of walking around with one, but I, I, you, know I, mean, many, I
0: you know how many I'm jokes really in there, right? <laughs> no, no, I'm, no. I'm not even saying like the actual, I'm just saying the amount of jokes that are about that. Cause right. that's that. And I think that's like a, uh, a metaphor for exactly what you're saying. Any type of performance, you know what I mean? It's All directly about related to
1: your masculinity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And for women, it just looks different. Like our bodies, the way that they look, the the size that they are, are the appearance of our face, how old we are. That is all that matters culturally in terms of how valued we are. I mm-hmm. hate that it's like that. I hate it, <laughs> but it is.
0: It is. Yeah. It is Fox. pretty. That that is pretty common. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so I'm hearing you say our family of origin. Yeah. Uh, and culture. Those are two big ones. Uh huh. Right. And relationships. And relationships are where those the inner critic comes from. Yeah. Um,
1: And I I think this is worth mentioning. As humans, brain science shows us that we have a negativity bias. We are more likely to jump to it's sort of like when you get a review at work. This is an easy example for people, and you there's like the all the great things that they're saying about you. And then there's like the, you know, the opportunity for improvement. that's the one that we latch on to and we right. obsess on and we're complaining. Oh, my boss is such a dick. You know, he said this about me or we don't tell anyone because we're so ashamed about this opportunity for improvement that we got on our yearly review. That's a negativity bias.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with, and the two names of the two books are escaping me at the moment, but uh, Michael Singer's books. Are you familiar? Yes. With I'm
1: familiar with the author, but I, I'm, I probably haven't read the book.
0: Okay. Um, uh, man, I, I cannot believe those two books have escaped my, my thought. It's positive there. psychology. So, isn't it the topic? Well, he, he's all about basically um, saying that you're that inner voice. Mm-hmm. Any inner voice is not you, you know, we somehow, and, and really he resonates with that term inner critic and in saying that we think that that voice that we're hearing is us. And he basically just says, how do you disconnect from that? How do you, um, uh, see it from a distance. How do you observe it? And then you're disconnecting yourself from it. Because right. I know for me, that inner critic is so familiar that mm-hmm. it's like, no, though that is me that is me telling me that.
1: Totally. I remember when I was sitting in my alma mater for my life coaching certification is the coaches training Institute. And I remember the very first weekend that we were in training, sitting in that conference room in Los Angeles, and they started talking about it. The coaches training Institute calls it your saboteur, which I think is kind of hilarious. Like let's slap a French word on it and make it sound sexier. It's not. But I remember like looking around at everybody in the room, like, wait, wait wait, like you mean to tell me that voice that I hear that tells me I shouldn't even start. Cause it's going to, you know, or what are people going to think all of these excuses, negative self-talk like that isn't my truth. Like you mean, I have the ability to manage that and change the way that I talk to myself. Like to me, like head explosion, like the possibilities are endless for this. So I agree to that you know, to what, um, that author is saying. And at the same time, like I was saying in the beginning of the, of our conversation, the, the self-talk matters, but also the real kicker is that our self-talk becomes our core beliefs and that lives in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And that's can be the messier part to untangle and unlearn and detach from.
0: It's almost like these are the, the tip of the iceberg, the, the symptom, the the, right. the inner critic is it's it's revealing what's going exactly. on below the surface, for sure. Okay. So how do we recognize this voice? Because if we if if we've become so familiar with it, I know a lot of people that I talk to and coach. There, they, it's like, what do you mean? Like that's just the truth. I do suck, you know. How how do you distinguish what is the inner critic and what is reality?
1: Well, I mean, with with that example, I would love to dig in with that person. You know, every person is nuanced, but I'd be interested to know what happened to that person, what stories they make up about themselves because of the way someone spoke to them or because of some circumstances that happened that makes them so committed to that belief. And it's heartbreaking. I mean, everyone has a story. And there are some people whose stories would bring you to your knees. And and there's some shame in, in many people's stories. They don't want to reveal what was said to them or how they came about believing that. But after we sort of untangle that, where I would start with someone is just to challenge those beliefs. Like, what is the evidence that you have that you are a bad person? Does making a mistake equal being a bad person. If, you know, if David had made those same quote unquote mistakes or lived that same life, would you think he was a bad person? So I would sort of show them the reality of it. And that's not a quick fix. Like I'm (laughs) I'm not saying it is, but that's a place where I would start just really looking at it at face value of what's really going on.
0: If I have any negative thought about myself, would you say that that is an inner critic, any negative thought you know what I mean? Like, how would I distinguish what's going on in my head and what I should call a negative thought or what I should call an inner critic versus just, yeah, that really is the case.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And no, not every negative thought is the inner critic because sometimes we are assholes, right? Like sometimes I show up at, and and I'm not the best mom to my kids and, and I lash out and I have to circle back and apologize to them. So I think that, are you familiar with the work of Byron Katie? Mm-hmm, sure. So she has what she calls the work, which I think is so awesome that she she has coined that like capital T, capital W. And she asks four questions. I have a little bit, I don't love the very end because sometimes when you're taking, anyway, long story short, she asks you to look at your part and things, which I think is super important about taking responsibility. However, sometimes people can blame themselves unnecessarily. But the first couple of questions that she asks is simply, is this true? And so there's a difference between, so say I lash out at my kids unnecessarily. There's a difference between me saying, wow, that was, that was a mistake. I should not have spoken to that kid that way. He didn't deserve that. That's one thing. On the other hand, me saying to myself, I am the world's worst mother." This kid deserves a completely different, how could I even look at myself in the mirror what a terrible human being I am, which I've had those thoughts as well. So there's a difference. And Brene Brown, who has studied shame work extensively, those differences are shame versus guilt. So shame is I am a bad person mm-hmm. and guilt is I made a mistake. And those are two very, very different things, which we can go down that path if you want to, but, but that's, that's really um, a little bit of a deeper level around this topic.
0: So that's almost sounds like a uh, behavior versus identity. Would that be exactly? The case?
1: Yes, okay. behavior versus identity is perfect.
0: Yeah. So my behavior was uh, poor or unhelpful in that moment versus I am this in my totality.
1: Exactly. And it's it's noticing when you're thinking in absolutes like that so many of us do it. It's so very normal. And the trick is to catch yourself in the moment. It's not necessarily, I think when people walk into their path of personal development, I don't know if this was the case for you, but I, being a high achiever and I tend to be black or white about things and, and, you know, either I am someone who, Talks badly to uh, you know to myself and has a lot of negative self talk, or I am in constant positive affirmation mode and know I am a good person at all times, and what has been so helpful to me is to realize that's actually not the case. Like it's part of the human experience to sort of be on this roller coaster of emotions and beliefs and things like that. What I always tell people is the win is that you're catching yourself in the moment, in the moment of telling yourself that you're a bad person so that you can move on. And sometimes it's just bypassing it and saying like, Nope, I'm not going to believe that today and going and apologizing and making amends. It's not, I mean, I don't sit at my desk and catch myself in those moments and do 10 minutes of positive affirmations. I don't, I don't have time for that. First of all. <laughs> but it's about noticing when you're, when you're beating yourself up and choosing a different direction to go.
0: hmm Okay, so when you say notice it and choose a different direction to go, how do I choose a different direction to go? What are some strategies that I could use?
1: One of my favorites is I have a mantra that I say to myself. And so what it's essentially doing is You know, another thing we know from brain science is that we create neural pathways in our brains. Our brains are very malleable and that's why we're so quick to think about certain things because those pathways have been created. We're also extremely habitual. We think most of our thoughts are the same thoughts that we had the day before and the day before and the day before. And a lot of those are negative. The vast majority of them are negative. So what you're trying to do is create a pattern interrupter. And so you're not necessarily trying to flip the switch and think a completely different thought. You're catching yourself in the moment. And so anyone, I feel like anyone who's listening to this podcast, like you're probably pretty aware of when you go down that path of completely beating yourself up. It might take you a few minutes. It might even take you a couple of hours, but eventually you will notice. And my suggestion is to have some kind of mantra that you tell yourself that is neutral. So it's the one that I use is, well, that just happened. That's all I say. Okay. So it's not... Positive, It's not negative. I'm not telling my inner critic to piss off, which I don't think is helpful personally. I'm not telling myself a positive affirmation. I'm acknowledging that it happened, and I'm and then and then I'm choosing another thought after that. And a lot of times, I change what I'm doing in that moment. So again, you're trying to create a pattern interrupter so that you can recognize that negative self thought train more quickly next time.
0: Okay. So well that just happened. All That's right. all I say.
1: Yeah. You can do, I have some clients who love the mantra. They just say stop and they imagine like a red stop sign. I have some clients who say, thank you for sharing. <laughs> sh- mantras are short and powerful. And, and again, I highly encourage you to make it neutral and that you're just acknowledging what happened and you're not making it mean anything.
0: Okay. And then after that, after you've uh, interrupted the pattern... Mm -hmm. choosing a different thought. How do I choose that thought? What do I, what do I, it might be
1: that you, I think that's why sometimes it's helpful to change geography. And what I mean by that is like, you know, change what you're doing in that moment. You know, if you're sitting, um, sometimes you know, an example that I give is, is one time I was sitting in the car and I had just walked away from, uh, um, an, an IEP meeting. It's, an, it's, um, my son has special needs and
0: oh, I know an what I- those are. My wife's a kindergarten teacher. Oh my God. A yeah. IEP, a lot of IEP talk in our house.
1: Those are, and my hat's off to the teachers that have to deal with parents and administrators and all the paperwork involved in that. But as a parent, it depends on the meeting, but you can walk away from those meetings feeling like you got the emotional shit kicked out of you. And yeah. this particular meeting I, I did Yeah. and I walked away and I was in the car and I'm going down that path of just feeling, blaming myself completely for mm. everything that really mm. wasn't my fault. Feeling like I'm not doing enough as a mom. You know, I haven't done one of those autism five K's. I don't even have the blue puzzle sticker on my car. What kind mm. of mother am I? And I was sitting at a red light when this was happening and I mean, we're not at red lights for very long, even though it can feel like a long time. Mm -hmm. But as the light turned green, it sort of shook me out of that thought trap that I was in. And I Mm -hmm. said my mantra, I said, well, that just happened. And my next thought was, and I'm doing the best I can. So at that point, this was maybe in, you know, Mm 2013-ish, I had been doing this work for several years. And so for me to say to myself, I'm doing the best I can, Mm -hmm. I did in that moment truly believe that. Mm -hmm. The, the me five years before that might not have believed it, so I wouldn't have said it. So it would have been enough just for me to say, well, that just happened, and then start driving again and think about something else. Maybe it was, okay, well, what can I do in this mm-hmm. situation? You know, I can reach out to such and such organization for help. Mm-hmm. Or it is going through what, what I need to get at the grocery store. It can be innocuous. It doesn't have to be related to the thing that you were beating yourself up for.
0: Just change your, change what you're thinking about change at the very least. Yeah. Okay. Even
1: if you have to do it five to 10 times within a minute, because that's what people push back on me too. And they're like, well, I tried that and it didn't work. And my argument is you have been thinking the same way for like 30, 40, 50 years. This is going to take a minute like, for you, for you to get in the practice of changing the way that your thought patterns are. You have got to commit to this and you have got to Have patience and perseverance in this work because this has the ability to change your life. It feels like
0: exercise, Andrea, and I don't want to exercise. It feels hard.
1: Right, okay, well then what's the alternative that you feel like shit? So, I mean- (laughs) tell you, I look at it as hygiene. Do I want to floss my teeth every night? Not particularly, but I'm 44 years old. And if I don't take care of my gums, my teeth are going to fall out or I'm going to be bleeding when I'm talking to people. And that's just gross. I don't want that. So I would rather floss than have the alternative. So that's what I ask people like, what's the alternative? Because it's not working for you to have this consistent negative self-talk. Yeah. And I heard about this, David, I
0: feel it, Woo. man. All of a sudden I've got bloody gums and I'm like feeling bad thing. about myself and I've got an autistic son and I'm just like, Oh my God, I've got a lot of problems. Um, I, it breaks my heart when I interact with people who have the negative, you know, self-talk, the inner critic and their life shows it. The results mm-hmm. that they're getting show it, and they're not interested or willing to do the work. It kills yeah. me. It kills me. Me too. It's lost potential. We have one life. You're losing every day of your life that you're just laying in bed watching TV, right? Yeah. You're 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 losing uh, the potential that you have to make a positive impact in the world. It just kills me. It absolutely kills
1: it me. does. But here's. Here's what I think, and I might get real woo-woo on you for a minute here. I think that not every person on this earth was meant to live their fullest potential. I think that
0: that is depressing.
1: It isn't it? I know. I just I think it's not up to everyone. I think that maybe in a different you know, whatever you believe about souls and spirits and things like that, but it's not for this lifetime. It's just not. And I know how painful it is, especially when we see someone that we love and care about. And we know this book that's going to help them so much. And it and we see them, you know, either they're financially a mess or their relationships are a mess or everything or they are bleeding gums, you know, whatever. <laughs> but like it's it's not up to us to change them. And it's, I get it. It is so heartbreaking, but I find some comfort in knowing that it's just not their lifetime. And in another lifetime, I truly believe that they will be different and they will live up to their potential. And unfortunately, I'm just not going to be around to see it.
0: Do you think that we reincarnate? Is that what you're saying?
1: I do, to some extent. You know, it's funny. I grew up Lutheran, and I remember I was probably 11 or 12, and I went- I don't think Lutherans to, believe that. They don't. And no. I did. I found out because I told <laughs> my pastor, who was no the way. man that I trusted. You know, I, I think at the time we were going through confirmation, so I must have been in like seventh grade, and, you know, he was my spiritual mentor, and- I remember sitting in his office and I was so excited because I was going to tell him because I knew in my bones that my body has walked this earth in an like, I couldn't tell you who it was, but I just knew I had been here before and I believed it. And I told him that. And he says, Oh, Andrea, we don't believe in reincarnation. And I was like, what? We don't. (laughs) But, but I believe this. And it was worse than finding out there was no Santa. I oh. mean, it was heartbreaking. And and I remember being so disappointed and feeling wrong and like, and that was, you know, just like don't trust your
0: intuition anymore because it's wrong. But And yeah. we don't believe mm. that. So now you're not one of us. You're not one of us. Yeah. And now, nobody home, wants that feeling. Did you go home and tell your parents?
1: Probably not, but my mom has always been, what's funny is my mom grew up very Catholic as did my dad, but my mom has always been, I mean, she's a witch. Like we know she's a witch, me and my sister. So (laughs) it's just another conversation. Whoa. They don't, they, they, they kind of frown upon, on that and, and the Catholic church and Lutheran is just Catholic light. Like, let's be honest, but, um, no, she, my mom was open to it, but I know, I don't think we ever had the conversation.
0: Okay. If you could choose anyone that you would have had a former, like you would have been, you would have been them in a former life. What
1: do you mean I would have been them?
0: Like you were them. Like, let's just say you knew you were this person in a former life. Yeah. Who would you choose? It was,
1: my guess is that it's someone who struggled profoundly because I also think that we, sort of graduate into the next evolution with each life that we live. And and to me, you know, there's a saying in the spirituality world that when we choose this path of personal development, of of becoming a conscious evolved person, we have the opportunity to heal the seven generations before us and the seven generations after us. So, which is like no pressure. (laughs) But I also think that I, I just, because the gifts that I have been given, you know, I was, my life exploded in 2006, which has brought me here. And to be able to walk away from that and not be like a full on drug addict and just throw my life away to be able to become as conscious as I have. And I still have a long way to go to be able to face my own shit and have some hard conversations and take radical responsibility and accountability for my mistakes. I had to have had some struggle before. Like you don't just get this amount of privilege and amazing life having had it easy. That's just my, that's what I believe.
0: Sure. Jeez. I must've lived a hard life too. Uh, (laughs) So now I, I read about 2006 in your book and, uh, but for people who, and this was not part of my planned conversation with you, but now that you brought it up and I think it would be really powerful for people to know that part of your story, even just briefly, because it sets the context for the conversation that we're having about your inner critic. You know, it really mm-hmm. is like, okay, yeah, you didn't, you just grew up in a nice Lutheran family and happened to leave in reincarnation. And now you have, you know, you have, wah, no inner yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, okay, that was a nice life. Um, like, like how did, how did rock bottom, how'd you find rock bottom in 2006? What was my rock bottom? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I was, I was married before I met a nice boy when I was 17 and 10 years later, we got married. And we had been together, we'd been married for a couple of years and we were, we always knew we wanted a family and we're talking about conceiving our first child. And he also had a really large family. My parents got divorced when I was 18. And so they basically adopted me and they were the type of family who any celebration and birthdays, baby showers, graduations, job promotions, anything. I mean, you coughed really loud and they were like, yes, you're amazing. Let's all get together and have dinner and drink and just congratulate each other. They just loved really, really hard. And so I was, i you know, 13 years, they were my family. They were definitely my family and they were a big family too. And my husband at the time decided to have an affair with our neighbor who lived across the street and got her pregnant And it was not a matter of, oh my gosh, Andrea, I made this mistake. Can you forgive me for this? Let's try to work it out, which to be honest with you, David, I probably would have tried to figure out a way to make it work because I was so attached to his family. And that's not, wasn't the case. He was in love with his other woman. They, you know, they got a house together. They even got a dog together. It was just so awful. So I was essentially, I mean, you talk about pushed out of a community. They had no choice. I had to leave and this other woman essentially took my place. So I I did what I probably should not have done right after that is I started dating. I met someone whom I thought was Mr. Wright. And to make a nine-month story short, he had lied about everything. He had conned me out of almost $10,000. He was addicted to opioids, and I didn't know it because he had lied about having cancer to cover up his drug problem. So I was financially supporting his, quote-unquote, cancer medication, which was basically... Opioids that we were getting in Tijuana, Mexico, because we lived in San Diego, and I was unknowingly crossing the border with illegal drugs for him, and didn't. I mean, the whole. I'm going to write a memoir because the whole story is just like
0: that happened. That just happened.
1: That happened, and so I. So he went away to rehab. I confronted him with everything. He admitted everything. He went away to rehab, and I was pregnant with his child and i thought maybe he can get sober and we can work this out if i hadn't been pregnant i would have not but you know some people get sober and clean their lives up and live happily ever after it happens in lifetime movies so he went to rehab and he met someone else in who was another addict and he fell in love with her and we broke up and she had a trust fund by the way <laughs> we all know how that ends so i have an 11 year old son from him and you know, I was, I was pregnant and on the floor in my bedroom. And after having found out that he was, you know, cheating on me with this woman in rehab and thinking like, how did I get here? Like my life, and I was 31 at the time. So it was also right around the time where most, if not all of my friends were getting married and, or having babies. And it was just the shame I felt for where I had ended up and the choices I had made. And of course, Those two guys had done crappy things to me, but I had to look around at what I had tolerated. I had major issues with control and codependence and really equated my self-worth and how valuable I was as a human based on my romantic relationships. And I had to take a good hard look at that and, and, and just really start, I know it sounds cliche, but I had to start over and, that's really where everything took off because I got to I got to really get to know myself if that makes any sense and just start living from a conscious place. It sucked. I'm not gonna say I did it. <laughs> it was hard. That was 12 years ago. Yeah.
0: 13 that's years ago. Extremely painful journey.
1: It sucked. I mean I I got I got the shit kicked out of me <laughs> mentally and emotionally and and But like looking back on it, I am so grateful that that happened because I didn't belong in that family. He was, he was doing the best that he could, but he had clipped my wings and I was always just, I always felt like I was too loud and too expressive and, and all of these things. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think my first husband had a real problem with me being as strong and powerful as I was. And so I felt wrong for it Mm -hmm. and angry. I I realized also how angry I was. And for women, especially, we have complicated relationships with anger and rage. And when I got out of both of those relationships, I mean, it all came flying out. (laughs) I also finally learned how to feel my feelings and that none of them were wrong.
0: And now so go any you.
1: direction from there, no, no,
0: no, it's great. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate sure. that. Yeah. And now, you know, 12 years later through all that pain, you're helping so many people, uh, process who they are and mm-hmm. help them to feel better about their lives and f- gain traction in their lives. It's so powerful. So powerful. Yeah.
1: And I'm not, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And I'm not here to tell you that there was an end to that, you know, and, and that, Oh, I, I made it in terms of success. I do feel like I've made it and there's more, you know, like that type, if you're going to define it that way, but in terms of my own personal development journey, I'm still uncovering stuff that's old patterns and behaviors. And now I get, I mean, it might be kind of like sick, but like I get excited when I uncover something where I need to work on that. And I look forward to the journey even though sometimes it's a slugfest it's still like i i have tasted how it feels to be alive and i remember how much pain i was in before and how unconscious i was before and i honor that woman and cuz before i had a lot of i had a lot of resentment towards her but if, i've worked through it i got some coaching on it as we do and i'm just i'm excited for for what's to come
0: so powerful. All right, back to thank you for the detour. Very powerful detour. <laughs> Anytime. Twelve year detour. Uh, inner critic. Yes. What if? What if I say, I need this inner critic to motivate me because mm-hmm. it's what this negative voice is. What pushes me to the next level, challenges me to be better, do better, you know, work harder. What if I get rid of that negative critic? will I lose, or the uh, if I get rid of the inner critic, will I lose my edge in life?
1: My short answer is no. And I invite people who have that belief to think about, are you thinking in in black or white again? So for those people, it tends to be either I have this inner critic that kicks my butt and motivates me, or I am a complete slacker that throws in the towel. And then we know what happens then. Then I become a loser. Then I am not successful, et cetera, et cetera. And I get it. You know, I I totally understand. And at the same time, no one beats themselves up into betterment. We don't get better and evolve through... The shit being beat out of us—it it, just—it doesn't happen that way. The, the the way the journey to your best self, your most evolved self, your most successful self, truly is through kindness and self compassion. And I know that might be contradictory, maybe even you know more so to men, but it like just I invite you just to try it, just try it for a little while, and it doesn't mean that you. I think that people think if they are kind and compassionate to themselves, it means, oh, I don't have to get up for these 5 a.m. workouts that I actually do enjoy. I'm just going to sleep in. It just is treating yourself like you would your very best friend or maybe even your dog. You know, like, would you beat your dog up? (laughs) To make I hope you don't because if you do I don't want to be your friend but like no it's through kindness and and dog treats and (laughs) And high-pitched voices and things like that It's it's that avenue of kindness and compassion that we offer our Closest people that we love and even to our pets Try that on for a minute and see how it works for you I think a lot of people listening might not even know what that looks like
0: Well, I want them to get your latest book for mm-hmm. sure. I've been reading through it. It's how to stop feeling like shit. And that's the first time I've cussed on the podcast. Oh my gosh. I hope my mom's oh not my listening. I, I I'm such a loser. I really'm so
1: honored to share this moment. I'm like with
0: you, the David. worst person ever. Okay. <laughs> uh that just happened. Okay, stop. Uh <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Red stop sign. Um, all right. Uh, tell me who should get this book, which is probably everybody. I know that's your answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and what will it do for them? I, sell me your book right now. I've already oh my it. it's gosh, thirty seconds.
1: Well, I, I, and I wrote just to to clarify, just for the sake of transparency. I my my practice is I coach women, and I wrote this mostly for them. So the examples in there are from women or people who identify as women, and but that I've had a lot of men say I read your book and I loved it. I got so much out of it. So what they will stop doing is is I I wrote about 14 behaviors that are holding us back. So it's self-sabotage, it's perfectionism, it's isolating and hiding out, it's numbing out, which I know just isn't a woman's issue. That's everybody. And it's also about overachieving and blaming and things that, that I always say, like they work for a little while until they don't anymore. So if you're at that place where you're thinking, yeah, I don't, that that's actually working for me anymore. And that's where the title comes from. It's not that for people who are walking around constantly feeling like shit, if that's you, you probably need a therapist. And what it's for is for people who are doing all of these behaviors because they worked for a while and they're getting to a place where it's starting to feel like shit and they don't know why it's not working anymore. And so that's what I talk about. It's lots of tools in there um, for people to actually implement
0: Action. And these, these, uh, sh- well, they're, they're, uh, compensating behaviors in, in reality. Sure.
1: Coping uh, mechanisms.
0: Coping mechanisms. Yeah. And, and they are, is so good. Like every one of them. I'm like, oh yeah. I, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That kind of hurts
1: so a little okay. bit. Huh?
0: Can <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I kind of do that one. Yeah. No, I don't really do yeah. that one. Uh, yeah. It is so powerful. Yeah. Really great list of. This is the stuff that you use to feel better when you don't. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: no one teaches us coping mechanisms, right? That's not a, like one of the electives when we're in high school. Like <laughs> it should be, but that's what I'm teaching is better coping mechanisms, which would have been a really unsexy title for a book. So, but I no.
0: to stop feeling like shit. It's a way better title. Okay. <laughs> and do you coach people virtually as well? Not just on, uh, I do. Yeah. Yes.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm about to write my third book actually. And so for the rest of this year, I'm only doing, um, private clients. I'm not doing any group programs or anything like that. So yeah.
0: Great. That's and it. so we want people to go to your and they can find, uh, your kick life on Instagram. That's where love I love to hang out over there. And you have your own podcast. I do. Yes. So we'll link to that. All of these things we're going to link to. If you're on an iPhone, you can just swipe up to check out the show notes. Um, or you can go to inspirising.com and find all of these links in the show notes there. Or just go to your kickasslife.com because that's yeah. where you're going to connect. Yeah.
1: That's where everything is.
0: Yeah. Andrea, thank you. David. Whoa. Thank you. A previous I've, we've talked about reincarnation.
1: We have.
0: I've got to think about. I have another friend who possibly believes in reincarnation. I don't know. I'm open to believing in it. I yeah. uh, the tradition that I grew up in definitely does not believe in it. <laughs> <I'm not surprised. laughs> uh, but uh yeah. Yeah. I'll have to think about who, uh, maybe I'll just make up who I was. I don't like your idea that I was having a lot of problems in the previous life. I would prefer <laughs> that I was somebody noble and amazing in the previous sure. life. Yeah. That would be way more fun to believe about myself. Like, yeah, yeah, I was this lame person and now I'm having the chance to be better. No, I'd rather to be, be some be awesome. And somehow at the end of my life, I screwed up and I had to like take some backtracks. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if I had to like stake my life on it. I, I, I none of us actually know that's, that's why there's religion because, <laughs> because
0: well, oh, a, a lot of people know, a lot of people know they're very strong. <laughs> in knowing.
1: No, no one really knows, but it's just, it's something that I, I believe. And it's like, I, I kind of feel like whatever makes, whatever works for you and makes you show up as a great human being, then mm-hmm. run with it.
0: I bet you also use essential oils and like stroke crystals too.
1: Oh my God. Should I show you my crystals? They're back there. I have only like seven and seven. and one of them was really expensive. It's kind of embarrassing. Well, it was like $30 for
0: a little rock. That's not expensive.
1: No, compared to how much some of them are. I, I I have essential oils. I don't use them on the regular. My son actually has a diffuser in his room. He loves them and he has crystals too. So oh.
0: I just started using essential oils. I interviewed a woman named Lindsay Elmore, who's like a famous essential oil guru. And so she got me to sign up for Young Living. And I'm now, you know, I've got literally right here. Here, I've got my favorite yeah, peppermint. Just uh, They I, are yeah,
1: pretty amazing.
0: Uh, yeah. I put it as in my eyes for eye drops. Feels you
1: good. do not. <laughs> I almost believed you for like a half a second. I was like, how do I not know about this? No, but I have, I have sensory issues, so does my son, and smells, like I can't do, you know, those plug-in scents cannot, they, they make my body hurt. Even incense, I couldn't even deal with incense anymore, and so the diffuser with the essential oils is the only thing I can do is air fresheners. There are some candles that work for me, but not a lot.
0: But crystals, because they don't smell, so that's nice. They
1: don't smell, and you can wear them in your bra. No, I don't. I know people
0: that do. Are you kidding me?
1: They make bras that specifically have pockets for holding your crystals.
0: That's like a third nipple, like in the middle or something?
1: No, it's probably... Actually, I don't know. It's probably somewhere like in the middle where it doesn't show as much. But they make flat crystals too. You could get a nice rose quartz.
0: (laughs) I have not had someone on the podcast that focuses on crystals yet. That is going to be...
1: Oh God, there's this woman who, and now I can't remember her name. Um, God, she's like, she's a little bit reminiscent of Cardi B and she has the thick Brooklyn accent. And yes, exactly. And she is all into crystals. I'll have to, I'll have to send it to you, but she would be amazing to have on, on your podcast.
0: Okay. Uh, find her. Let's get her on. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much, David. It's been my pleasure. And I'm honored to have been the first guest where you said your first c- curse word. So I feel like it's brought our friendship to the next
0: level. Okay, Andrea Owen is balls. All right, she's just crazy. Like that was an amazing conversation. She has this powerful message. She's making a big difference in the world. And she's got her third book that she's in the process of writing. You gotta check out all of her websites and social media and our podcast. You can find all of that in the show notes by swiping up on your phone right now or go to our website and it's all right there for you. All the links. Yes, they are insporising.com. Now here's what I want you to do. Tell a friend about this episode. Somebody needs to hear this message today and you know exactly who it is. Their face popped into your head while you were listening. And all you need to do is tell them to search for Inspiration Rising on the Apple or Google podcast app that's already on their phone. All right, until next time, have a wonderful week.